Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. so good to be here with you this morning. It's always fun to go to one service because we get to see each other and some of y'all are just like getting to know one another again. I hadn't seen each other in a while and we're just glad that you're here. I know I'm going to mess up when I start doing this, but there's some special folks here this morning I want to uh, mention. Uh, Jen and Brandon are here. Uh, <clears throat> couple, where are they at? Oh, there they are. They're a couple of our missionaries that we support every month, and so we want you to make sure that you hug on them. And I told Brandon I'd rather hug Jen than him, but I still hug Brandon anyway. And uh, and uh, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, you're a wise man. <laughs> so we're delighted they're here. We've got the awakening here, I think. Uh, intern, all on the front, all these interns from all over America here. We're delighted to have them. Thanks for bringing them. Y'all are welcome anytime. Y'all can just move to Oklahoma City. We'll take you. Uh, we've got a youth group here. I'm not not even sure where they're from, but a whole youth group from here. So where, or is it this crowd right here? Yeah, we're glad that you guys are here and uh, we're delighted. We got our kids back from camp and they're fired up, had a great time at camp. And so we're delighted that uh, for that. And last but not least, and I know he's going to be mad at me for doing this, but uh, one of the kingdom characteristics that we've talked about, kingdom climate, is honor. So we honor Bishop Tal Gardner and his wife Stephanie back there. Would you wait? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> He was my boss uh, for a few years, and uh, it was a delight. They treated us so good, and now we didn't name Tal after Tal, but he claims it anyway, and that's all right. That, that'd be all right, too, because that's a good towel, and I've got a good towel, so it's a, some of y'all don't know. But anyway, uh, we're, just, we're just glad that they're here. Well, it's a special day, special season uh, for us. Each June, we invite spe- folks that are really tight with us and uh, bring them in to deliver a prophetic word. I believe a prophetic word to our body. Last week, Pastor Warren Beamer with the, was with us and just blew it out, hit a home run, and and uh, it's just a great start. But this morning, uh, I have the real special privilege and honor of introducing our speaker today. I was trying to think how I would introduce him. I guess I've known his family. Oh, they've known my family probably before I was born, I guess. It's been a long, long time. And then I got to know Justin uh as I served as campus pastor and he was at Southwestern, he was constantly in my office because he was always in trouble. And now I'm playing, I'm playing. He never had to come to my office for anything, but I uh, got to know him and develop a deeper relationship with him. And he pastors um, a church down in Purcell. It's Passion South. Uh, he doesn't know that. It's not called that. It's actually called Landmark, but we call it Passion South. Anytime you come and preach at my church, you become a Passion Church. Okay, so we start counting your attendance. I need you to send your tithe. This, okay, whatever. Uh, anyway, um, so I, I thought, well, how do I, because as a body, you'll remember back several months and months ago, I stood up here on a Sunday morning broken, and we began to pray for him because he was going through a tough time. And I'm not going to steal his testimony. But you'll remember also last week at the end of service, I made mention of this. One of the things that the Lord has taught me is that in the Old Testament, uh, when they would anoint kings and uh, prophets and priests, they would pour oil over them. Remember that? And I talked to you about the five spices. We know what two of them were. They were sweet, two were bitter, one was unknown. And they would take those spices and they would grind them together and it would produce an anointing. And I'm going to turn this mic over to somebody this morning that's anointed. 
He's been through some good days. The favor of the Lord. He can't deny it. He, he gets it honestly. It flows down from his family. How many of you know sometimes we don't deserve the favor we get? I'm one of those guys. I know. I know. I know what my mom and dad have done for me. And he's experienced favor on his life. He's experienced some bitter stuff. He's experienced some things in the last few months that were unknown. He didn't plan for this. This was not the path he would have chosen. But out of it, God works it all together for our own good. And so this morning, it is my delight to introduce to you an anointed man of God. I want you to give a big passion welcome to Justin Blankenship this morning as he brings the word. Good morning, Passion Church. How are you this morning? It's an honor to be here today. See a lot of familiar faces, a lot of people um, I went to school with. I didn't realize how old I was getting until um, I saw Tal at youth camp. And I realized he was about two years old when I moved here uh, almost 16 years ago. Um, uh, I, I knew um, President Ely and Ms. Edith all my life. And so I knew them when I came here. But I didn't know Steve that well. I actually just met him. Um, I wanted to go to Southwestern my entire life. I'll tell you more about that in, in, in a little while. I always wanted to go there. And uh, my parents met there back in 1969. And so it was always my dream to go to Southwestern. But the crazy thing, I'd never actually been there. I always wanted to go there. I'd fill out an application, but I'd never been there until we were coming through going to Denver, Colorado the Christmas of my senior year of high school. And we just stopped by the school and Steve happened to be there and he showed me around the dorms. Probably doesn't even remember that, but it was him showing me around, and he found the one clean dorm that somebody had left and uh, showed me, and I said, it sounds good. Let's go there, and uh, anyway, and so Steve became my campus pastor, and then Miss Julie um, was was my teacher in several ways, in several classes. I'll tell you the most embarrassing thing. I don't think I've ever told her this, admitted this, but I was very embarrassed in college. You know, I was a freshman. I was just trying to get by, do the easiest thing that I could do, and uh, somebody told me that she didn't read any of the journals that we wrote, okay? That she didn't actually read them. You just wrote in them. So I would write a little bit, and then if I got tired, I would literally say, blah, 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 you're not reading this anyway, and I turned it in. <laughs> And she came back and said, redo this. So anyway, thankfully, she didn't just spell me, but uh, I, I redid it because she really did read it. And I felt really goofy. But uh, confession is good for the soul. I'm confessing this morning. Um, and Miss Julie is also my choir teacher, and I can't, I can sing a melody okay, but I can't, I've never been good at parts, so she would sit there and work with us, giving us our parts. The moment she walked away, I just went back to singing the melody because I couldn't remember what she had taught me. So anyway. Now, it is an honor to be here this morning, a privilege to see so many uh, familiar faces. I'll, I want to recognize this morning, um, I have Bree's grandmother here, Miss Betty Berry. She's here on the, the fourth row. So if you please give her a hand. Glad to have you. We call her, call her BB, but glad to have BB here with us this morning and some other friends that are here. Um, if you don't mind, if I can just be myself this morning, if that's okay, I'm, I'm going to tell you my story. Um, and some of you have heard this different places, different parts. And so I'm going to just kind of tell you my story this morning. But if you don't mind, would you stand as we honor the reading of God's Word and turn to Psalms chapter 46. I want to read just two verses of Scripture. I've shared this testimony at different churches. I just got back about a week and a half ago from Columbia with Southwestern uh, Christian University, and I spoke seven times in eight days. But every time I share this, I try to share a different angle on it. Um, I, there's so much to this story. And so this morning, I'm reading a scripture with this story that I've never read and kind of going a different direction with it. But I want to talk to you about my life. And my prayer is by the time we're done today that you can find strength in the Lord. Amen? Amen. 
Amen. Psalms 46, just two verses of Scripture. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Let's pray. Father, we thank you right now for our time together. We thank you for your word that makes a difference in our life. Father, I pray that we leave here different than when we walked in, that we leave here changed, transformed, and strengthened. Father, thank you for this time together with friends. I just pray that we feel your presence even stronger today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Turn around, high five three people, and tell them Jesus loves you, and I'm trying. And you may be seated. I want to do, say it is an honor to be at Passion Church. I've admired your church from afar for a, for a long time. Um, anytime I've had questions, your pastor has been great to help me. And this week, I watched your, your youth worship. I went to youth camp one night, and I watched the youth, and I watched your youth worship. And I watched them, and these are kind of, you know, Pentecostal words that we understand, but they really entered into worship. And I thought to myself as I was watching them, that's not something you can just teach. That's something that's experienced. And I want to tell you, I admire you for that, that your young people have watched you and, and some of you older folks, you enter into worship. And I just want to say I admire you for that and thank you guys for the presence that you, that you set. This morning I want to tell you my story. It's not a story um, that I would have chosen for myself. It's not something that I, I would have wanted to live through, um, but it's something that uh, God has brought me through, and I want to tell it to you. The title of my message this morning is simply Finding Strength in the Storm, and I want to just tell you my story. There's a couple pictures they're going to show in, in just a few moments, but um, I want to tell you my testimony. Never really thought I had much of a testimony when I was growing up. Grew up in Mississippi. Um, I talked fast for being from Mississippi. My mom was from Colorado, my dad from Oklahoma, and I was just confused. And so, um, <laughs> as I tell my church, put your fast ears on and listen quickly because I do talk kind of fast. Um, I think some of my people think I'm speaking in tongues and I'm really just preaching my regular sermon. <laughs> so, um, but I grew up in a, in a pastor's home, preacher's home. My dad was a pastor, pastor of the same church now for almost 41 years, and uh, grew up a preacher's kid and knew what it was to be live in a glass house and everybody know everything about you and grew up like that. Always wanted to be a preacher since I was a little kid. I have, they have pictures of me at two years old standing, holding a Bible, pointing, my grandpa wearing my dad's T-shirt with my Bible open, pointing and, and, and preaching. Um, when I was seven years old, I knelt at, the, at a love seat in the parsonage in Crystal Springs, Mississippi, and gave my heart to the Lord, got up from there never forget called a couple in my church they were like my grandparents and I said I just gave my heart to Jesus at seven years of age um, about that same time my first grade teacher Miss Mary Kitchens sat me down one day I'll never forget we were in the school in the cafeteria and they had a stage and we're sitting on the steps in the stage and she said Justin what do you want to be when you grow up and I'd heard her ask other people, and I heard astronaut, policeman, you know, whatever a seven-year-old normally says. And at seven years of age, I said, I want to do two things in my life. I want to be a preacher, and I want to go to Southwestern. That was the, the two things that I told her. At seven years old, sitting on the steps, that was my desire. At 11 years old, my dad came to me one day, and he said, Justin, I know you want to preach, but we can't call you to preach. You can't call yourself to preach. God needs to call you to preach. So you need to just pray and ask God if that's what he wants you to do with your life. And I, at 6.30 in the morning, morning, I would get up and, and a, at a young age and pray, and I was praying, and the third day of praying, I'll never forget, God said, I want you to preach, so I went in where my dad was blow-drying his hair, and I said, Dad, God just called me to preach at 11 years of, old, of age. At 13, I preached my first message to Children's Church. Um, I told the Lord before I preached that morning, I said, if you want me to preach, I want one person to get saved, and the fifth altar call, that person got, no, I'm just kidding, but... Um, <laughs> 
that morning, somebody got saved, came forward, and the Lord confirmed that in my life. And so my, my teenage years were spent preaching in my youth group in a, a couple of different places like that. And I finally came to Southwestern, graduated, worked for um, our denomination in uh, EVUSA for three and a half years. Finally got called to Purcell, Oklahoma to pastor, and I was single, 27 years old, single, never been married. They took a chance on me, and I became pastor of this church. I had everything that I wanted. I had a loving family. My parents, I'm an only child. Um, I, I say that's because they realized they couldn't do any better after having me. My dad said, no, we were scared it would get worse. So we said, we're not doing this again. <laughs> but my parents, but I, I had a loving parent, very supportive family. I had great friends, had everything I wanted except I didn't have a family. I was by myself all the time. I didn't have the family that I wanted. But I didn't know where to go. Where do you go find a preacher's wife at, right? I mean, it's kind of difficult, okay? It's not the easiest thing to do. I had one pickup line, and it was, hey, baby, won't you come back to the parsonage? And it didn't work. They never, they never, it never worked. That was my one pickup line. Um, but where do you find a pastor's wife? So I prayed a dangerous prayer. I said, Lord, if you want me to be married, I can't find anybody. I've been trying. So you've got to send somebody to my church. And one Sunday morning, a family came to visit. There was a young lady in that family that came to visit, and the truth is I really didn't even speak to her that much because her parents were there, and I just shook their hands. We had several visitors that Sunday morning. I shook their hands. They left, but that's Sunday night. Now, we have Sunday night church, and if you come back for Sunday night, you're serious about the Lord, okay? And I knew she, this young lady walked in, this beautiful angel, and I thought, man, she must be serious about the Lord. She came back on Sunday night. And so we began to talk and began to just build a friendship and develop just a, a great friendship over several months. And her name was Bree. And uh, Bree had a five, or at that time, a four-year-old son by the name of Deacon. And we all just became really close. There's, I think there's a picture, that's a picture of Bree. Um, we became really close. And, and so as time went on, we realized there was something more to this story than just her being a good friend. I'll tell you what really gave it away was my parents. One, one September night, I'll never forget, sitting in my church, they, they had come to visit on a Wednesday night there in the sanctuary, and I looked down, and I see my parents and Bree talking. Now, I've kind of hinted around that this girl is cute and all these kind of things, but I hadn't really said anything. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in that place where your mom and dad meet the person before you get to introduce them, it's a little nerve-wracking because you have no idea what they're saying, okay? <laughs> and so my parents are down there talking, and so I'm trying to think, what am I going to say? So before church even started, I kind of walked over and, and kind of whispered, what do you think? And my mom started doing her eyebrows up and down like she was happy, and my dad started pointing at his ring finger, and I had to say, be quiet, stop. <laughs> but we quickly realized there was more to what God wanted to do. And so last July in 2014, we went to YouthQuest, and I figured the beach was a great place to ask her to marry me. So there, looking in a window out, and there was a storm, so we couldn't go outside, but overlooking a window, um, overlooking the ocean, I got down on one knee, and I said, will you marry me? And surprisingly, she said yes. I was kind of nervous about it, but she said yes. And uh, we quickly um, were excited about starting our family. And once again, I'd never had, um, this is a picture of us and our wedding and, and our Christmas, but I, I, I didn't have a family. I never forget Deacon coming to me, and, and he said, uh, we, it, was on a, it was a Saturday, and it was right before um, a, a certain church, before a big day at the church. So Bree was getting her nails done. You know how you ladies are. You got, a, you got a big day at church, want to get your nails done. So we were at the Sooner Fashion Mall in Norman, Oklahoma. She was getting her nails done. So I told Deacon, hey, let's go down and get an ice cream from Chick-fil-A. And so we're sitting there in, in, in front of uh, Chick-fil-A and our ice cream on a park bench. We weren't married at the time, just engaged. And Deacon said to me, Justin, whenever you and my mom get married, can I call you dad? 
Now, I want to tell you, he just said this out of the blue. I didn't know what to say because I knew how I felt, but me and Bria never talked about it. And so I was kind of nervous. What do I tell him? And so I just said, hey, buddy, just call me Justin for right now. That's the only thing I knew how to, knew to say. But, uh, but anyway, we quickly, me and Bree talked about it. And Deacon just began to call me dad right away the moment we got married. Last November 1st, on a Saturday, we, we got, got married. Great day. Um, several hundred people there. Some of you were there. We had a, a wonderful wedding. And we began our life in ministry. So excited. I finally had a family. Finally had a team. Bree was great at this. She was the, I mean, she was a perfect pastor's wife. Nobody's perfect, and I understand that. But I want you to know, before we even married, before we even started dating, I would watch her, and she'd go around a church and shake everybody's hands and ask people questions. I mean, she was just engaged, and she loved people and loved children's work. I mean, she was just this perfect example. I was so excited. Finally had all these things that I dreamed of, and we started this family. And I was, let me tell you this, I was, I didn't say this to you, but I was 33 years old when I got married. I was three days shy of being 34. I jokingly said, and she told people, because I joked about it, that I wanted to get married before I turned 34, because Jesus gave up his life at 33, and I was going to do the same thing. So, <laughs> but Three days before my 34th birthday, we got married. And, and so because I was older, we wanted to begin a family pretty quickly. You know, we wanted to go ahead and have a family. And so um, after being married seven weeks, she got sick one Saturday. We were driving back from the city, and she was, felt really sick. And so I took her to the emergency room in Norman, and they asked a question. They said, how long have you been married? So we told them we were new married. And how long have you been married? And I said, seven weeks. And the lady did this little measurement on the screen. She said, well, you're five weeks pregnant. I thought, whoa, man, how am I going to tell the church ladies this? I mean, you know. <laughs> so I got up to announce, and I said, some of you counting fingers, but seven weeks married, five weeks pregnant, we're good, it's legal, we're good. But we found this, we were so excited. Christmas, we go into, we went over to, I remember going to BB and Pawpaws and telling them, and I've got a video on my phone still, I saw it watched this the other day of us telling them and told Bree's parents, my parents, we, we told them and they came in town. Everybody was so excited. We were excited to finally have this family. I got up the last Sunday of 2014, I got up and I stood behind the pulpit and announced this, and I said, 2015 is going to be amazing. I'm adding another family member to our family. We're excited. It's going to be marvelous. And so we started 2015 with all these hopes and all these dreams. Dreams. Um, in, as we went into 2015, we were excited about everything, but pretty quickly, Bree began to experience some different pains. And so we went to the doctor, and um, they said, you got to go see um, to, a, to get an ultrasound. And so i never forget on a Friday, um, Bree laid there on the table, and she got an ultrasound. And the doctor said, I'm sorry, but the baby is gone. You've miscarried. Tears rolling down Bree's cheeks. I'm trying to hold it together. I'm a preacher. You know, I'm used to being in there when bad things happen to people, so I'm trying to hold it together. And so we get out to the car, and I lose it, and she loses it, and had to call our family and tell them. Got home and told Deacon, who I didn't, I didn't even think he really even understood what it meant for her to, us to have a baby, and Deacon literally just fell over in the bed crying just because it devastated all of us. And went through that weekend just devastated. And on Monday, um, Bree called the doctor, and they said, come visit us. So we went up here by Deaconess Hospital, and uh, they said, well, you got to have a DNC because you've had a miscarriage. So on Wednesday, we scheduled a DNC. We had to get up early in the morning. I had to get up at 4.30 in the morning. I put on a baseball cap, threw on some clothes. We were supposed to be home by 10 o'clock that morning. Everything was going to be fine. Very quick procedure. They do them all the time. About a 30-minute procedure. So that morning, we, I kissed Bree bye and told her, told her, I'll see you in 30 minutes. Her mom told her bye, and uh, we went and had breakfast in the cafeteria, came back. The doctor came out and said, hey, everything was good. Everything's great. You can come see me in two weeks. The doctor even looked at me and said, you probably don't even have to come with her. She can come by herself. Everything was perfect. Um, go back there and see her in the recovery room. So as we walked back in the recovery room, Bree immediately began to have complications from the surgery. 
and they quickly got us out of there. They said, you got to get out of here. After being outside for what felt like hours, but it was probably only two minutes, I, I said, I've got to get in there. So I, I, I went in the door, and I pushed them aside, and I said, I've got to pray for my wife. I laid hands on Bree, and we prayed for her, and they said, you got to get out of here again. So we got outside. Finally, a neurologist came to visit visit us, me and Bree's mom, and the neurologist said this. The neurologist said, she is having complications. We've got to put her in a medical-induced coma um, before we can figure anything out. So that Wednesday, they put her in a medical-induced coma. I immediately began to call people to pray. You guys were praying. We had people praying around the world. Just got back from Columbia, and the pastor in Columbia said, we were praying for you guys. So literally around the world, people began to pray. For four days, we prayed. I'll never forget hitting my knees in the bathroom at Deaconess Hospital, falling on my knees, crying out to God, and saying, God, please heal my wife. God, please heal her. God, please let her get through this. I remember talking to the nurses and telling the nurses, she's going to get through this. we got so much to do. we got, we got so much ministry to do. She's been called. We've got to do this. Please. And I, I remember telling the nurses that in ICU. But uh, after four days, she battled and she fought. And at 26 years of age, I was seven and a half years older than Bray, 26 years of age on that Saturday, she passed away. So in a week's time, we lost a child and then my wife. In, in the middle of all of this, my mother, two years previously, had been diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And so my mom had been battling ovarian cancer and been going through chemo. And there's a picture, I believe, yes, of my, of my, my beautiful mother. And she had been experiencing um, going through ovarian cancer and, and those things. And we were praying for her and believing. And so eight weeks to the day that I lost Bree, my mom passed away. I was in the room when she died. So in nine weeks' time, I had lost a baby, a wife, and a mom in that short amount of time. Um, it's obvious, I don't have to tell you, it's obvious to anybody. When something like that happens, it's hard to know, just even figure out what all is going on around you. The shock and everything that is happening. But I want to tell you three things this morning that God has taught me through this. Okay, Three things that I want to help you with this morning. I'm not telling you that I've done everything perfectly, but I want to tell you today I'm here because of God's strength and God's power. And I want to tell you three things that I've learned. Number one, I've learned that even on the worst day of your life, God is still good. That even on the worst day of your life, God is still good. Difficult times do not change the fact of God's goodness. That even when things are tough, God is still a good God. I have no idea why these things happen. I did everything by the book. I did everything you're supposed to do. I went to church every time the doors were open. I was faithful. I paid my tithes. I listened. I did all those things. I, I accepted God's call, and I was preaching. I was doing all those things you're supposed to do, but we still, I still found myself in the midst middle of a tragedy, losing my best friend, losing my mom. I, I would be, be glad to admit to you I was a mama's boy. In 16 years, I can probably count on two hands the number of days that I did not call my mom and talk to her. I talked to her sometimes several times a day because I love, just enjoy talking to her. And so losing my best friend and losing a mom who was my rock and my support, I want to tell you my head began to spin, but I realized something, that even in the middle of, the, in, in the middle of that, it did not change who God is that God is still a good God, God still loved me, and those things did not change even on the worst day of my life. 
Those of you that came to Bree's funeral, I know you heard this scripture before. You've heard me speak, but I just feel like I need to say it because it's something that got me through. The greatest scripture that got me through was in Job. When Job said this, he said, I looked one way and I could not see God. I looked behind me and I couldn't perceive him. I looked to the right and God didn't look like he was there. I looked to the left and he was nowhere to be found. But Job said, he knows the way that I walk. And whenever I go through this, I will be made pure as gold. I want to tell you, God is still good. And it doesn't matter what you go through. It does not change the fact that God is still who he says he is. And I want to tell you that even that God knows where you're at. He hasn't forgot about you. He hasn't forsaken you. He knows exactly where you walk. And when you get through this, you are going to be stronger and made like pure gold. Can somebody say amen this morning? You've got to believe that. You've got to really believe that, that God is good. Because it would have been so easy to turn my back on the faith. It would have been so easy to get angry at God and say, God, you did, I did all these things for you, and this is what happens to me. I did all these things to serve you, and look what happened to my life. It would have been easy to say, I quit, I give up, the world can treat me better than this. But I want to tell you, I didn't believe any of that. I knew that God was still good. The psalmist said, I would have given up, I would have thrown in the towel, I would have quit, except I believed that I I could see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And I want to tell you, I know today, even on the worst day of your life, God is still good. Can somebody say amen this morning? Amen. Number two, we don't live with just what happens to us, but we live with what we tell ourselves about what happens to us. Two people can go through the same thing, and one can become bitter and angry, and one can grow stronger and closer to the Lord. They can go through the same thing. Why? Because it's not just about what happens to us, but it's about what we tell ourselves about what happens to us. My mom taught me this lesson when I was a kid. Once again, I was the preacher's kid. And, uh, you know, being an only child, a preacher's kid, spoiled was my middle name, okay? And I'll admit that. And I thought I had the run of the church. I knew where all the ladies hid the, the Cokes so nobody could find them until the day of the party. And I would sneak in there and get me a couple Cokes. I knew where everything was at. I, I knew which windows I could open up to get inside the church that everybody thought was locked. I, I knew everything like that. I thought I ran the church. So many a Wednesday night, because of me being spoiled, I found myself in trouble when I got home. Because I had done something or said something. And, my, and I would say to my mom, when she was getting hurt, my dad were getting on to me. I'd say, Mom, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said. You don't know what they said about you. You have no idea. And my mom would say this, Justin, I don't care what they said. I care about one thing. How did you respond? And what I've learned is I can't change what happens to me. Some things I can. Some things that happen to us is because of our sin and our stupidity. That's the honest truth. But there's some things in life I can't change. I can't change the fact that my wife passed away. I can't change the fact that my mom passed away. I can't change the fact that I was only married 12 weeks, the best 12 weeks of my life, but I lost my wife. I can't change those things, but I can change how I respond to those things. And I chose a long time ago that I was going to choose joy even in the middle of my pain that I was going to choose to have faith in God, even in the middle of my suffering, that God was still who he says he was, and because of that, I was going to choose to trust him, even in the middle of a difficult time. Can somebody say amen? amen. Here's the question. It's easy to, to worship God when you get the answer you want. You understand? I'm Pentecostal. Whenever, when, I, when somebody gets healed, I can shout and dance and shuck them a Hyundai with the best of them, okay? I can do that. I, that's a new word, shuck them a Hyundai. You know, sometimes if you're home and just not having a good day, just say that a couple times and you'll feel better about yourself, I promise. 
Listen, I can shout and I can buck and holler and I can do all that when something good happens. I'm Pentecostal, fourth generation. I know how to do all that. But here's the question. How do you respond when you pray for the person and they're not healed? How do you respond when you pray for the job and you don't get it? How do you respond when you pray for something to happen and the opposite takes place? How do you respond to those things? We know how to respond to the good things, but how do you respond when a terrible thing happens? Because that really proves your faith. That really proves where you're at. How do you respond in the difficult times? God never promised us that life would always be easy. He never promised us that. As Pentecostals, I believe in healing. But I, sometimes we want to be healed just because we don't want to be in pain anymore. Okay? I don't know about you. If I have a headache, I want to be healed because I don't want to be in pain anymore. But sometimes I pray and I'm not healed and I still got pain. Then when something bad happens, I pray for comfort. And you know what? What happens when comfort doesn't feel like comfort? When you pray for God to comfort you, but you still feel lonely at night, and you still wake up and pat the bed. The, the, the day after Bree passed away, I woke up the next morning patting the bed, praying to God this has been a bad dream. How do you respond to those kind of things? Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Steve quoted it earlier. Pastor Steve said this. Paul says in Romans 8, In all these things we are made more than conquerors. He doesn't say apart from these things. He doesn't say outside of these things. He doesn't say when God removes all these things. He says in all these things we are made more than conquerors. So what that means is I may have to go through the fire. I might have to go through a difficult time. I might have to go through some tragedy. But I want to tell you even in the middle of pain I am still more than a conqueror. Even in the middle of our suffering we are still made more than conquerors because of Christ Jesus who loved us. Can somebody say amen? So you've got to choose to have faith. You've got to choose to have joy. The world's going to choose other things, but as Christians, we choose to believe God. We choose to trust him, and we choose to hold on to him because he is our rock. Can you say amen? amen. Number three, you must build a foundation in the light so when the darkness hits, you have something to stand on. I'll be completely honest with you, and this is gonna, some of y'all are probably going to roll your eyes. My church does when I say this kind of stuff, but um, I got this next question. Uh, Point from a Mumford and Son song. I'm sorry, but I did. That's true. The song says this, hold on to what you believe in the light when the darkness has robbed you of all your sight. And when they said that immediately, I thought of my situation and I realized this. If I did not have the foundation that I had, then when the darkness came, I would have crumbled and I would have fallen. But I want to tell you, you've got to build a foundation now. Don't wait till tragedy happens to try to build a foundation because it'll be too late. You'll be running around in the dark trying to figure out where you're going. But while things are good, begin to build your foundation so when the tragedy comes, the old song says this, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Amen? So you've got to build a foundation. You've got to have something to hold on to. You've got to anchor. The Bible says hope is the anchor of our souls, and you've got to have something to be anchored to. So when tragedy happens, you can hold on. When bad times come, the the Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. I don't care how good you are, the rain's going to fall. I don't care how bad you are, the rain's going to fall. I, listen to me. I did all the right things in the hospital with my wife. I whispered in her ear Psalms that said, you shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. I read Psalms 91 over her standing there. I quoted all the scriptures. I prayed in the spirit. I did everything you're supposed to do. And she still passed away. 
my mom was one of the greatest women of faith I've ever met. She fasted. She believed. When I went to visit her the last few uh, months of her life, she would sit there with healing scriptures. And when she began to feel bad, she began to declare these scriptures over her life. And she began to say these things. She would have uh, words of affirmation. She would begin to declare and promises God had given her. She did all the right things, but she still passed away. But I want to tell you the reason I can stand today, and I'm not angry at God. I don't understand it. I don't like that these things happen. I'm not happy about it. But the reason I can still serve him and the reason I can still preach and do all these things is because God allowed me to build a foundation so whenever the tragedy came and the winds blew my my house was not built on the sand but my house was built on the rock of Christ Jesus and as long as I'm attached to the rock no matter what comes I can make it I can stand strong because greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world can you say amen you got to build that foundation. you got to build it now when difficult times come. I sat there after Bree had passed away. We did a couple things. We sat there, and the doctor said, we tried everything. We can't, do, we can't do anything else. They unhooked her from all of the things, and we went in as a family. And her mom began to play a song. Um, it's a casting crown song, I'll Praise You in the Storm. She had heard that song four days earlier, and, and it's an old song, but her mom had never heard it. And she thought it was for me and Bree because we had lost a child. But I, we, we realized later it was for the family after what we were going through. So laying there with my wife, just passed away on the bed. Her mom prayed that, and we lifted our hands and worshipped. Kind of an odd response, but we worshipped. We lifted our hands and praised the Lord for his goodness. And I looked at my wife, and I said this. I said, Bree, I will spend the rest of my life telling people about you and your story. You see, Bree, Bree was not perfect like, like none of us are. And she had made some choices in life that weren't the best. But you know what? She had found her purpose in life. In the last two years of her life, she had found her purpose. She had come back home to the Father's love, and she experienced love. I had never seen anybody literally be transformed by the power of God's love like she was. I mean, she was transformed, and she set out on a journey to help other people experience God's love. She was so excited. She would tell me that sometimes. We'd be just talking at night, laying in their bed, just talking, and she'd say, I just want people to feel this love that I feel. She was so excited about it. And I told her, I said, I will spend the rest of my life telling people your story so that people find strength because your life was not lived in vain. And we had 70 people, your pastors, were some of them out in the waiting room praying and believing. And I told them this, I told the nurses this, I believe she impacted more people in those last four days of her life than she had done in all the 26 before. Because four people, I mean, those four days, people came to know God, people came to pray to God in greater ways. And as my mom laid there, about to die. She was in the hospital in Jackson, Mississippi, and I was there, and a friend of ours um, I've known all my life, my mom and them kind of helped raise her, um, and she's a nurse, and so she said, I want to sit up with Miss Sharon all night tonight. That's what she thought she wanted to do. My dad slept on a blow-up mattress beside the bed, and I went down to the hospital. The hospital wasn't full. I literally went down to one of the rooms and just laid in the hospital bed. And about an hour later, Angela came and woke me up. And Angela said, Justin, it's about time. She's about to go. And so we woke my dad up from the floor. And he got up. And I opened up the book of 2 Timothy. As my mom began to take her last breath, I began to read to her. And I read, you have fought the good fight. You have kept the faith. There, therefore, there is laid up for you a crown of righteousness. And I read that to my mom. And as she breathed her last 
we prayed. Never forget there was a nurse, nurses and a doctor in the room to pronounce her dead. And my dad said, before you do that, I just want to pray. And he thanked the Lord for the 43 years that they were married. And I looked at the nurses and I told them this and I said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. I want to tell you this today, God is no respecter of persons. I'm not standing here today because this is easy. One of the things that I think is difficult because I'm not, I'm an emotional person with worship and different things, but I don't just cry all the time. And I think some people think, boy, you've had it easy. That's not true. You don't see the pain that I've gone through behind the scenes. You don't see what it's like. See, I love being married. I love coming home to a house that smelled good. It was, I mean, it was clean. Bree had stuff going on. You know, Deacon be in his room playing. The lights were on. I loved coming home to that. Now I come home and I, and I know this is kind of a tragic thing, but it smells like a bachelor pad again. I mean, that's the truth. It's the house is empty. I come home to that. And, and listen, there are nights that I just feel the pain. I think back to um, the, the moments that Bree passed away with my mom. And I think about those painful things. And the, that, the pain is still there, still real. People say that time heals all things. Well, I don't know how long it takes because it's been, it only been a few months, but it hasn't healed anything just yet. The pain is still real and raw. But the reason that I want to stand up and share my testimony is simply this, because I know we serve the kind of God that when you come to him and you're just honest and say, Lord, I can't take it. I don't know what I'm going to do. I feel like I'm going to give up. I can't go on any longer. What he does, he swoops down with his great hands and he picks you up and he begins to help you. And he says, you know what? My strength is perfect when your strength is gone. I want to tell you one thing. God, I can promise you, God is everything that he says he is and more, but you've got to trust him. And it's only through the difficult times that you see different sides of God. There are sides of God that I never understood until I needed him to hold me. There are, there are sides of God that I never understood. I didn't know what it was like to have peace that passes all understanding until I went through things that could not be explained. I didn't know what it was like to have God comfort me until I went through something where I needed comforting. And if you allow God to work in your life, even in the difficult times, I'm not telling you this morning, if you go to church and the pastor says, Life is always going to be easy. And if you get saved, your bank account will be full and all your bills will be paid. I want to tell you, let me find that religion because I haven't found it yet. I'll sign up for that one. But I found that the truth is this, that even in the midst of our, even in the midst of doing right, even doing good, there will be seasons of our life when we go through difficult times. But if you'll do one thing, and I close with this, Ephesians says this, having done all to stand, stand. When you've done everything you know to do, just keep on doing it. When you've done everything to stand, just keep on standing. When you say, Lord, my, my knees feel weak, I can't do it. When I'm about to fall over, he will help you, he prop you up, he will help keep you going. But when you've done everything you know to do, just keep on standing. Because you're not standing in your power. You're not standing in your strength. But it is the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is the strength of God that is helping you to stand and to make it. And when you realize, I might not, I feel like I'm going to give in and I can't do it. But God, I trust you. I lean on you. And during those times, he is that rock you can hold on to. The thing I want to tell you today and leave you with is this. Allow God's strength to be in you. Hold on to him. Hold on to him. There's an old song we used to sing when I was a kid. It talks about holding on to the unforeseen, unforeseen hand of God. And I want to tell you, there, there's some of you here today, you're experiencing difficult times. You know, people tell me all the time, I hate when they say this to me. They say, well, pastor, mine's problem is not as bad as yours. And I'll stop and say, wait a minute. Pain is relevant to the situation. Okay. Some people can take experienced things and it doesn't bother them. Some people can experience things and it's painful. 
what you're going through is as painful to you as what I'm going through is painful to me. Don't ever think that because your situation is not as bad as somebody else's that God doesn't care. I want to tell you, God knows where you're at. He hasn't forgot about you. He knows exactly where you're at. And today, some of you need strength. Today, you're going through some things where you just need God to give you strength. What I love is Isaiah tells us, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. And today, you, some of you need that kind of strength. You've gone through difficult times. And all I'm here to tell you is this, that God is no respecter of persons. He, if he'll do it for me, he'll do it for you. And if you'll realize that even on the worst day of your life, God is still a good God, that whenever difficult times come, don't tell yourself, God must hate me, God must be mad at me. Tell yourself, God, I don't understand this, but I'm going to respond with faith. And if you'll build the foundation right now, some of you are going through good times. Listen, you need to get in God's Word and build your foundation. Because eventually, if you live a few days, eventually you're going to go through something. And if you've got the foundation, when that comes, you can stand. Amen. Won't you stand to your feet right now? Just close your eyes where you're at. I just want to ask you this morning I want to pray for you I believe one of the things that God has allowed me to do in sharing my testimony is to see people strengthened and this morning some of you are going through a difficult season and you need some strength you felt like giving up, you felt like giving in and you just need some strength today and today I want to tell you God is here to strengthen you He's here to help you He's here to help you on your journey and so this morning if that's you I just want you to raise your hand right now if you need some strength today. Amen. Amen. There's a lot of hands that went up. If you don't mind, um, if this morning, if you raise your hand, won't you come to the front and let us pray for you right now? If I could have some prayer people come down as well. If you need strength this morning, just come and let us pray for you.
you, Jesus. Come on, give him a hand clap of praise this morning. We worship you, Jesus. I, I think we would be remiss in disobedience if we didn't do this. Come here, Justin. Uh, Justin is not ministering today. He did not minister out of his strength. He's, he's telling his story out of a, a broken place. And, and I've learned something over the years of doing this pastoring thing. I, we're real good about praying for people right at the moment of their pain and loss. And then we go on with life and we forget. But I want us to pray for him today. I want us to pray that as he continues to share his story, that at some moment in all of this, He'll be able to do it out of strength, but that God will honor the fact that he's willing to do it while he's broken. And that he'll see the greatest harvest and the greatest time of ministry he's ever seen in his life. Amen. Let's pray. Would you stretch your hands towards him? Father, I pray for my friend and my brother, Justin. God, I'm thankful for the foundation that you've established in his life. I'm thankful that he has a firm foundation. I also recognize there are still some very lonely days. And there are a lot of days that are not easy. And I just pray that as he continues to minister out of the brokenness of his own life, that you would, I pray that you would work a deep anointing in him. An anointing for strength. I pray that you would strengthen him. On the days he does feel like giving up, I pray that you would remind him that you're faithful. And God, I pray that as he continues to walk this thing out, that you would draw people to him that are broken and he would be able to speak life into them. And I'm praying for the greatest outpouring of harvest and ministry that he's ever seen. I pray that you would strengthen him beyond measure. And on his weakest day, on his weakest day. And I know how this works. It's usually after you minister on his weakest day. I pray that you would bring people, that you'd bring peace, that you'd bring provision into his life. And even though he's limping, and he may limp the rest of his life, I pray that that limp would lead others to you. And that as broken as he is, that you would find a man that's willing to live uprightly and faithfully. And you would honor him and bless him for that. I pray blessings over his church. They've been really good to walk through this with him. And I just pray that you would heal that church, that you would strengthen them in their time of need, and that they would together make your name known and make your name famous right there in Purcell and beyond. We ask you to accomplish this for your glory and for your namesake. And everybody said, It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.